0: This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host.
1: Welcome back, everyone. This is the second part of our podcast with Dr. Amy Bentham. Dr. Bentham is a doctor of public health from the Harvard School of Public Health. Her doctoral research focused on physician exercise prescriptions and patient exercise behavior change. In this second part, we will discuss good practices of health consulting, and we will also talk about behavior change and the tools that could help in making a change in your life. We are living a time of sedentary behavior and obesity pandemic in the world. Many of us are thinking about making a change towards better. We know what we are supposed to do, but still quite often we fail in fulfilling the expectations of others and ourselves. So welcome back, Amy. Thank you, Lise. In the first part, we discussed what could be done better in our medical care, but what could the communities do to be more pro-physical activity?
2: Sure, and... I'm going to give an example of my own community. And I live in a city called Somerville, Massachusetts. It's a city of 80,000 people and it's right outside Boston. We're just over, just across the river, uh, just, just over the border, right near Cambridge, Massachusetts. And... About two decades ago, Somerville had an example of a community-wide obesity, child and adult obesity prevention initiative called Shape Up Somerville. And I mentioned that the focus of Move to Live More is around addressing chronic disease and physical inactivity through cross-sector collaboration. Shape Up Somerville was a wonderful example of cross sector collaboration. So it involves schools, city government, civic organizations, community groups, for profit businesses, and community residents. And so it really worked on building a culture of physical activity, building a culture of health, and having the city itself identify as a place where people work to be healthy, and come together to be healthy. And that I mentioned that it was an initiative of, of two decades ago. But I, I interviewed someone, uh, a health and fitness studio operator, a couple of weeks ago for another campaign that I work on. I'm I'm the national spokesperson for the moving together outside campaign, which works to expand opportunities for physical activity outdoors by reducing restrictions on permits, for example, to, to green spaces. So health and fitness professionals can take their classes outdoors. Oh, great. Yeah. And when I was interviewing this operator, they mentioned we are a city which has a culture of health and physical activity. And I thought, and we're a city that has been that way for the past two decades because of the Shape Up Somerville initiative. So I think building a culture of health and physical activity is really important. I think other lessons that came from Shape Up Somerville is the need to get buy in from community residents. So really engage people like myself who live in the community in efforts to address a problem, a a public health problem. And in this case, the public health problem was child and adult obesity. I, I also think it's important to engage different sectors. So not only the health sector, but maybe the transportation sector as well. Because we know that that uh, shared streets and and bike lanes and the design of the community is really important for getting people active.
1: Definitely. So, um, do you have any like I know it was a long time ago this in each, the the program, but um, do you know the results or like was it followed up in in some way? Because it was trying to, I guess, address obesity. And so, so, yeah. What do you know about that?
2: Yeah. So they did a great job identifying the problem, which was significant obesity in youth that was continuing into adolescence and, and adulthood. So they identified the problem and they engaged different stakeholders in planning to address the problem. And then they constantly communicated progress and outcomes. And I think that the original term was three years and they were able to significantly move the dial on, on uh, child obesity. And it still exists today.
1: Oh, it's great, yeah.
2: Yeah, and I, about five years ago, I started volunteering with our district wellness committee and Shape Up Somerville employees were very much a part of that initiative. So they are still working with all different stakeholders. All those different stakeholders are still at the table working to address not only... Uh, child obesity and, and adult obesity, but expanding further and further to bring in mental health and stress reduction and healthy eating and nutrition in schools. And uh, we actually spent a couple years um, um, changing the language in our recess, uh, s- excuse me, changing the language in our wellness policies and procedures to include language about active recess and healthy eating in schools and outdoor physical activity as part of before and after school programs. And so Shape Up Somerville is very much still alive.
1: That's great to hear. I hope it's Keeps on going. So, um, you have a consulting company called Move to Live More. Um, Who are your clients, and uh, what is kind of what do you do? What is your professional philosophy?
2: Sure. Yeah. So, my clients come, not surprisingly, from the three sectors that I'm looking to serve. So, healthcare, health and fitness, and and communities. And they include healthcare systems, health and fitness centers. Nonprofit organizations that are working to improve health and well being through physical activity and sport. So, I help clients and I counsel clients how to collaborate with community stakeholders to be seen as an essential community resource, getting people active and healthy. I counsel clients how to expand opportunities. For people with various conditions, so injuries, and 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 diagnoses and disability, to be physically active, my my professional philosophy I'm I'm very mission driven. Um, if it's not consistent with helping people live healthier, longer, more active lives, I don't work on it. I lead with communication, and collaboration. Just as I'm trying to knock down silos in those three sectors, I partner and collaborate with like-minded organizations and individuals. And I mentioned this importance of trust that I found in my research. And I work not only in my research on building bridges and building trust, but I also do that with my clients and my collaborators. And, and really, the importance of trust, being a trusted source of information, referring out to trusted sources.
0: Join to stop the worldwide pandemic of inactivity. Are you a medical doctor, physical therapist, personal trainer, or someone else helping individuals in making a change towards a healthier, better life? Imagine a behavior change tool designed for professionals like you to help your clients achieve better results and at the same time provide you with more income. Fibian is that tool. It offers an evidence-based way for health and wellness professionals to extend their services into coaching. The only thing your client needs to do is put a tiny Fibian device into their pocket for a week. No buttons, no apps, no Bluetooth connections, just a foolproof way to get scientifically accurate data easily. The device collects objective physical activity data from your client. Furthermore, it forms easy-to-understand visual feedback and lifestyle suggestions towards healthier choices that you can present and discuss with your client. An individual approach encourages and motivates clients to change their lifestyle patterns and gives you an opportunity to strengthen your expert status and distinguish from competition. Fibian helps you to educate and coach your clients through this change towards a more active and healthy life. Strengthen your expert status. Distinguish yourself from the competition. Order Fibian now at Fibian.com. That's F-I-B-O-N.com.
1: So, I, yeah, I guess you already maybe said that that trust is kind of your cornerstone, <laughs> but what do you think, like, generally are the key factors in successful health co- consulting? Like, um, I, I are there any other factors that, um, if we want to initiate the behavior change in, in an individual? You have probably studied more like groups of people, but you. what are your ideas on that?
2: Yeah, so I started out as someone in the health and fitness industry working with individuals or working with small groups or... Maybe the largest group was a group exercise class. So working with them on a a small scale level to to initiate behavior change. And now I'm really working on health and behavior change at a large scale system and and policy level. Um, Working to bridge healthcare, health and fitness and communities to bring about better health outcomes in, a, in community-based settings. Um, and so one thing I, I should mention, so so I work with larger organizations now and primarily on, on chronic disease. But over the past year, I have been counseling and advising my local public health department and mayor's office on COVID-19. So I've been very involved in COVID-19 pandemic response. And so with my background in chronic disease, I've been working on infectious disease, but it's still very much rooted in behavior change. We were working to understand the research around COVID-19 and use that research to inform Policies that impacted behavior change in our community around mask mandates, around restrictions on businesses to reduce capacity and, and keep people physically distanced. My vision, though, remained the same, which was really to work to keep communities healthy, and in this case, safe from infectious disease. So that experience has really informed my vision of moving forward, because I think that we have a heightened awareness of health now. As as a world, we've been thinking about health over the past year. It's been very top of mind And very much focused on infectious disease. But this infectious disease pandemic was fueled by a chronic disease epidemic.
1: Definitely, yeah.
2: We saw the extent to which people who are physically inactive, people living with obesity, had much higher risk for severe health outcomes, severe COVID-19 health outcomes. And so really moving forward, how can we address physical inactivity as a modifiable risk factor for infectious disease?
1: Yeah, and that can could be beneficial to us in the future, because, it, well, hopefully not, but it's maybe not the last infectious disease that we're facing like worldwide. Um, so in the projects that you have been involved in, um have you measured physical activity in in any way or how do you uh do you ask people or how do, how do you get the information about the physical activity levels or inactivity levels that people have
2: Yeah so if i'm to carry my research forward with the physician exercise referral network i i looked at physicians and exercise professionals' perspectives on patient exercise behavior change, carrying that research forward, the next step would be to understand patients' own perspectives on their behavior change, as well as to understand the impact on health outcomes. And so I've been fortunate enough over the past year or year and a half to sit on several panels where we were talking about the role that technology can play in measuring physical activity and changes in sedentary behavior. And so often with research, it's self-reported physical activity. And there's such a wonderful opportunity to leverage technology, specifically wearables, to measure activity levels and to show the impact not only on physical activity levels, but again, to carry it one step further with health outcomes. And, And my research, talking with physicians, talking with exercise professionals, they all mentioned the importance of technology, self technology and self monitoring among patients. And my research really showed that wearables and technology can facilitate adherence to a prescription from a physician. And technology can help hold patients accountable i actually have yeah. patients <laughs> who talked about asking for their their patients to hand over their phones when they walked in they said okay i you know i gave you a homework assignment of 10,000 steps per day you know for the past several weeks how did you do And of of course, I'm not recommending that that physicians stand over their patients, but I think it's important that it can show that empowering patients to self-monitor with technology. And and finally, technology and wearables really provide actionable data.
1: Definitely. Yeah.
2: Data that, that the patient can act on and data that we as researchers can act on that we can show the changes and the impact on behavior and we can show the changes and impact on health outcomes.
1: Yeah. And it's great. The example that you said, I think it's also um, really important for patients that the healthcare professionals are actually following up you know if you if you give an assignment that you're actually interested in how did it go how has it you know that the patient knows that there's somebody kind of following the uh, the process maybe um so one of our goals in this podcast is also to bring researchers and practitioners together so um uh In the future, what would you expect from uh, from a wearable device or or any other technology that would be used in measuring for example physical activity so what would be the important um, valuables or or yeah what would be important for you as a professional
2: yeah i just i want to add one really important point that you just raised it's so important the physician to know if the patient is following through. And my research revealed that 28% of physicians don't know if their patients are following through on their counseling prescription referral. And so how can fitness professionals, how can technology facilitate the knowing by the physician. And so what would I look for in technology? What might I look for in wearables? I would look for something that the patient was going to use. Because if they don't use it, it doesn't address the accountability It doesn't address the adherence, and it doesn't address the actual data. It doesn't address the knowing on the part of the physician. So it needs to be technology that they will like enough to use. And I sat on a panel with wonderful, very advanced people working in in the technology field and, and the type of people who have 18 wearables up and down their arm they're so advanced. And I have a very basic Fitbit, but I use my Fitbit and I use it religiously and I wear it every single day and I use it to get my step goal. And most importantly, and I haven't mentioned the importance of social support in bringing about behavior change, but I wear my Fitbit because my mother also wears a Fitbit. And so we as buddies on a, a fitness challenge years ago started working together to get our daily step goals. And so we brought in technology, but we also brought in social support. So I would say a wearable needs to be something that people understand and like enough to use and won't we'll just stuff in a drawer somewhere.
1: Yeah. And they get the information from the wearable, I guess also. Is it, yeah. Um, Okay. So Amy, from where can our listeners find you? I know you're writing a blog and uh, you probably have other resources. So uh, how can people approach you?
2: Yes. So your listeners can find me at movetolivemore.com. And you mentioned my blog and I have a couple different blogs. One is I actually released the 10-step roadmap that I mentioned for fitness professionals toward being trusted community-based resources. I release that in in 10 steps over 10 weeks on my blog. I also have a blog series around uh, COVID-19 and physical activity where I review others' research and try to translate the research more for a lay audience I also have a podcast, uh, the Move to Live More podcast, and listeners can find that on movetolivemore.com as well. And people can find me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at Move to Live More, or uh, at Amy Baltham.
1: Okay, so you, you can be found everywhere. So <laughs> thank you so much, Amy, for taking the time and being here today. And uh, thank you all our listeners. This was Practitioner's Viewpoint today, and I'll see you next week again. Bye-bye.
2: Thank you, Lise. Bye-bye.
1: Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Researcher Podcast.